0: Hey listeners it's been here and welcome to revival on the air today if you're new to the podcast what we do here is interview people about the miraculous things that god does in their lives it's inspiring stuff and we hope it boosts your faith gives you encouragement or maybe leads you to start a walk with god if you're a regular listener from one of more than 60 countries where people subscribe then welcome back we love having you on board and we hope you're enjoying the miracles now it's not normally this noisy when i record an intro tonight i'm outside in the city of Brisbane on the Story Bridge that runs over the Brisbane River. Why, I hear you ask? Well, this bridge features in the next interview where I talk to Danny and Mandy, a married couple who came from such different backgrounds when they met as teenagers. Danny had a fiery temper that was fuelled from a violent, alcohol-infused upbringing, while Mandy was taught good Christian values from a very young age. Many years later, they live a happily married life that would not have lasted if it wasn't for prayer and trusting in God. They also share the amazing testimony of their grandson, Kalani, whose doctors told his parents that he would be born without a spleen, along with other life-threatening issues, including significant heart problems. Kalani, now age 13, leads a confident, healthy life, thankful for what God has done for him. I challenge you not to tear up when you get to the part about the Story Bridge. I hope you enjoy this episode. God bless. Annie and Mandy, welcome to Revival on the Air today.
1: Hi, how are you, hey Ben? Hey, Ben,
2: good to be here.
0: It's taken us a bit of time to get this organised because you two are hardly ever in the state in our You're <laughs> always travelling around to uh, fellowships uh, all over Australia and, in fact, all over the world. You've uh, just Nowadays, come back from like a that. big yeah. trip overseas.
1: Great nomads on steroids.
0: <laughs> Visiting lots of fellowships around the world and no doubt seen lots of things,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, which are pretty amazing. I'd like you to share both your testimonies today. Now, Mandy, you've got a particular healing testimony that you want to share with us as well, which I think is pretty phenomenal. Wow. But Danny, maybe we start with your testimony.
2: Yeah, sure, Ben. Actually, it goes back uh, uh, quite a way now, back to 1975 when I first uh, heard about uh, the Word of God. I tried as a young kid to try to get my head around it, but just really, really struggled. I was actually brought up in a pretty dysfunctional family. I was the eldest of eight. I found at the age of nine that the person I thought was my father in a drunken rage one night uh, told me that I was the son of another man and so it set the scene for a pretty bad lifestyle. It was um, a life that was actually fueled. Uh, with uh, lots of fights and arguments and brawls with alcohol. And so it wasn't good. In the midst of all that, I was trying to find my way through life. And invariably because of that, I actually had a pretty lousy upbringing, uh, a lousy education. To be quite honest, I actually was turning out to be a real dud. So what sort of person were you? I think I was, uh, to be honest, I reckon I was a bit of a follower um, because I didn't really know how to lead at all in any way, shape or form. So even through sport, I was just a, a follower and I really didn't have a great deal of qualities that I could call upon to be able to help me. So if I was just tagging along, it felt like I was safe. And uh, the only difference would be if something erupted, I had to try to defend myself. And that happened quite regularly. And uh, that was the only time I would really voice my opinion and my thoughts on things. And and sometimes those things weren't pleasant. So you are a pretty fiery character Yeah, back then. I didn't like to be that way. I wasn't trying to be that way, but it's just the way it was because if I didn't defend myself, it wasn't pleasant. It just wasn't pleasant at all. And so with that in mind, I did go to some religious people from time to time when I was a young kid asking them questions. They'd give me little testaments, new testaments to read, and I didn't understand it. I can still recall a guy who was visiting our school at the time, a little caravan, who was uh, trying to teach me some things about Jesus. And even as a young kid, the questions I asked him, he really was at a loss to give me answers for. I had really no direction at all, so I had to cut that short. It was of no value. But it wasn't long after that uh, that we were living in a place called Nangwari, which is southeast of South Australia, and we had a holiday, the only holiday I ever remember having as a family. We actually hired a caravan. Uh, my stepfather had got an inheritance with a car, towed a caravan from the southeast to the West Beach Caravan Park. And it was in this caravan park that one night my brother, Jimmy, who come tripping across the caravan park, and it was a balmy night, and I remember him yelling out, I'm going to live forever, I'm going to live forever. And my ears picked up. I thought, whoa, I've always wanted to know what that's about. And he got back to the caravan and because he was carrying on my stepfather gave me an absolute flogging this night inside the caravan and told me to stay there and I waited and I waited and I waited for him to come out because I wanted to know what it was and when he came out I asked him I said what were you saying and he said uh, they said over there Dan, it's a group of people that's telling you can live forever and so with that I was so intrigued I ripped across to find out who these people were anyway it was just people telling me to go to church that's all it really was and I was so deflated so let down and come away from there pretty dejected and so once again I'm back to square one so by this time I had really given God away as a bad joke I thought oh no one really knows and so I just decided I'm just going to live like everybody else and that's exactly what I did so as I grew older I just got involved once again as a follower And I was involved with, you know, alcohol and sport and drugs and all the other horrible things that go with it, thinking I was no different to anybody else, basically. In 1974, 75, I was up in the Northern Territory and I saw what Cyclone Tracy had done to Darwin uh, back then and it just blew the place away. And, wow, that was a really horrible thing. I can still vividly remember seeing what that place looked like. You had to actually be there to see what it did. It just destroyed the place. There were things twisted and wrecked in so many different ways, and no matter what constructions they were, they were just ripped apart. It was there that I began to think that there was something more powerful than mankind. Never told anybody. I kept all my thoughts to myself, and I just knew there was a power far beyond mankind, but I didn't really know what it was. Saw some things there that I should probably never have seen, but that's the way it was. and But I decided to drink my life away in Darwin. Anyway, consequently, I was working as a firefighter in uh, in up in Northern Territory and um, I was out on a mission one day at a place called Mamalari out in the bush and I uh, had a horrible accident up there where I come off a motorbike jumping over a mound. The truth was I couldn't ride. That's the truth But Anyway, I remember going up and that's the last thing I remember but I dismounted from the bike and my head connected with a uh, pandamus tree without a helmet and... Well, that, uh, that was the last thing I remember. The lights went out. And the next thing I know, I woke up in the Darwin hospital. I'd been pulled out by the jungle by one of those army schnook helicopters. And and uh, I remember waking up and I thought, I'm alive. I can't believe I'm alive. So it was long after that that I just decided I had to get out of Darwin. And uh, so I got out of Darwin. And when I got back to Adelaide from Darwin, I was going to see an ex-girlfriend of mine at the time. Uh, that's when I first met Mandy. So how old were you at this stage?
1: Uh, about 20, I think, wasn't it, Mandy? Uh, no, you were 19. 19. Early yeah. 19. And so, Mandy, I, you weren't
0: the ex-girlfriend. I
1: was 16. You... No, definitely not the ex-girlfriend. Friends with the ex-girlfriend. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. we won't go into that one.
2: Mandy very quickly told me that my morals were really, really bad in no uncertain terms. And so I'd never had anybody actually say those things to me before. And so I just knew that she was different. And as I got to know her more and more and more, she began to outline the Christian values and and once again that old thought from what's the, the purpose of life come rushing back and I was eager to hear what she had to say but I was trying to put on a bit of a front at the same time saying, you know, I had to put my ego in front of that. I got to hear about the Holy Ghost. I'd heard that word before but didn't know what it meant. I never really heard of baptism. I'd heard of people being sprinkled but I never heard of baptism and I certainly didn't know what it meant, to be honest with you. And I'd never heard of born again, speaking in tongues. Uh, Those things were just foreign to me. I had no idea what she was talking about.
1: And to be honest... Having been brought up in a Christian family, I'd never actually met someone quite like Danny either. So when I first <laughs> met him, he had very long hair and a panel van, and he definitely had no morals and drinking was a really big part of his life. So we really came from two totally different spectrums of life. So it was uh, an interesting uh, get together at the very beginning.
2: Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was like the uh, the girl on top of the hill and the boy in the valley. That's what it was. <laughs> but uh, anyway, as, it, as time ticked along, she took me up to, to meet her parents and they also were telling me the same story. And so I'm surrounded with something I was completely alienated from before. I had no idea what they're talking about. Anyway, to cut a long story short, I was invited by her parents to come to a meeting, which was up at Elizabeth, for, north of Adelaide at the time. And I agreed upon that and I went to this meeting really not knowing what to expect because I wasn't a church goer, so I didn't know what to really expect. Some people had saved some seats for uh, Mandy and I. I think it was the second row or the first row in that meeting, yeah, was it Mandy? Right up the front. Right up the front, yeah. And I didn't know who these people were and I sat in that meeting and i, I got to tell you, it just totally went over my head I thought that I was on another planet with these people and I thought what on earth are they on about and then when the time came they were talking about uh, operating the spiritual gifts and I certainly had no idea what that was even though it was explained a person speaks in an unknown tongue and as the bible would tell us and then there would be an interpretation and I really had no idea what to do at that point in time. I really was standing up and we were listening to these people and I didn't know whether do I join in, do I get out. I, I was totally and utterly confused. And so uh, anyway, Mandy didn't actually stay with me at all, I don't recall. I seemed to be isolated and taken over somewhere else and I was talking to other people and they explained explaining it to me. And I just honestly, I had no idea what they were talking about. As I said, I was a dud. I thought you had to be a pretty smart person to understand all this sort of stuff and I just wasn't that person. My uh, high school teacher had told me that I would amount to nothing and he was probably right because that's where I was going. I flunked in everything and I thought I was going to flunk at this as well, to be honest with you. There was one guy and to this day, I don't know who this guy was, but he uh, he was the guy who really I've got to thank really because he um, said to me this particular day, he said, Danny, he said you've done a fair bit of arguing here today and And the truth was I had, because I was trying to defend myself. He said, why did you just go out to the front where there was people being prayed for in this prayer line and said, ask God to do the proving for you. I just remember saying to him at the time, I said, the only way I'll ever believe this trash you're dishing up here today is if I can receive this experience myself and I can say I received it rather than what you tell me I've received it. And I really thought... I had won the argument and I was very good at coming up with an answer. But so you thought by putting
0: this challenge out there that nothing was going to happen?
2: Yeah, that was my survival mechanism and it always had got me through. I don't ever recall anybody getting the better of me because that was my only thing that I had which I was good at. He just looked me in the eye this guy and he said, Danny, when you receive this Holy Ghost, I can tell you now, we won't have to tell you, you'll tell us. And for the first time in my life, I was a checkmate. I just didn't really know what to do he had me hook line sinker boat jetty the whole works I was at a loss really but I just waved my arms and flicked my eyes and uh, walked away because I was done but I don't know why but that moment I just walked the prayer line I don't know why I did that I walked the prayer line and I remember the guy and once again I don't know who this guy was either he asked me what I wanted and I just said oh this holy ghost thing mate whatever that is and I was that suspicious You know, when you live the life that I live, you just don't want to be conned by anybody. And I just thought this was another con. And I remember when he was praying, I had one eye open and one eye closed and I wasn't going to get conned by anybody. And nothing really happened at that prayer line because I had a really lousy attitude. But that guy said to me, "Um, so, Danny, have you thought about getting baptised? And that wasn't even on the radar. That was so far away from my mind. But for whatever reason... I walked to the baptism room and next minute I'm sitting in a baptism tank in front of people I'd never, ever knew and I went, what am I doing here? I can still remember my pride, can still remember thinking if this gets out of the footy club, this is not a good thing and what am I doing? You know, I felt like a real fool at the time. Anyway, the guy who baptised me, once again, I don't know who that person was either, but I remember him saying to me, Danny, when you come up out of the water, he said, you pray for this Holy Ghost, God is gracious, he'll give it to you and you'll know. He said, you just pray. In my mind, I'm thinking, I've never prayed in my life. I don't know. How do you pray? That's just another foreign thing to me. So I was actually in a bit of a bad spot there because I didn't know. I thought I was going to make a fool of myself. He asked me, did I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? You know, all of my life I'd wanted to believe that, and many people told me about it, but how do I believe in something I don't know? I found that very strange to answer that question. I said yes, I guess in a roundabout way deep down I wanted to know. He asked me did I believe the promise that he'd filled me with this Holy Spirit. And once again, I didn't know that either. So it was on face value that I said yeah, I guess. Anyway, I come up out of the water and because I didn't know how to pray and to this day I still don't know, but I think I was going to say thank you because I didn't know what to say. But I'm really glad that it all happened because as I went to say thank you or whatever it was I was going to say, out of my mouth came the language the Bible talked about and, oh, my goodness. I will never forget that moment. It was far better than they told me it would be like. So what was going through your mind. When that happened? what did you what did you think? I didn't even know if I could ask God for what He was going to give me. I didn't even know how that could be. I was so confused. I'm with foreign people, I'm doing something I've never done in my entire life, I'm asking for something, is it really, is that tangible? There was all those emotions going on in my head and so I just didn't know. I didn't know what was going to really happen but all I could do was go with the flow. In fact, I don't even know what I would have said after I said thank you, to be honest with you. I just didn't know. But praise the Lord, I guess God knows your heart and they read my heart better than I could.
1: And it was really quite a cultural shock because, you know, I'd met Danny's friends. They were all involved in drugs and drinking and just really a life of partying and really not a lot of structure. So I think going from that sort of lifestyle where you're down the footy club all the time and you're at a pub and then all of a sudden ending up in a church where people seem so straight compared to the life that he led, I think just culturally it was such a big shock as well without having to actually see that there was something he'd just never heard of before mm. so yeah it was mm. amazing
0: given the diversity of your backgrounds yeah what did you see in Danny
1: well I think firstly I suppose I saw a bad boy I don't know if that's a good thing or not but I just saw someone that had a bit of a passion for life I think for me like at that point just actually meeting someone that was so different and who was actually quite interested in wanting to know what I was about. The more I told him about, you know, what I believed in and what I didn't like, the more interested he was. So I think I was 16 at the time. I think that was a bit of an ego in those things. So
0: were you surprised? So when he went out to get baptised?
1: Yeah, I was crying. I really didn't believe it because it was pretty much went to a play and then went to a church meeting. I think the second meeting he was at, he went out, got baptised and he received the Holy Spirit straight away. And he knew that himself. like He spoke in tongues. No one had to tell him. So, yeah, it, mm-hmm. was, yeah, it, was, it was pretty like amazing. That.
2: Yeah. I do a lot of apologising that day because I'd abused a few people beforehand. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. so that was the way it was. And you are right, Ben. What Mandy said before, our two worlds collided. I'd taken Mandy to my place.
1: Yep, I remember that first wow. day.
2: they were the drunken brawls that used to take place and the police would come quite often to try and break them all up and Mandy saw things that I just thought were normal but to her they were just yeah. totally foreign. So she was seeing my foreign world and I was seeing her foreign world. So the two worlds definitely collided. There's mm. no doubt about mm. that. Anyway, there I was sitting in a baptism tank in front of people I never, ever knew, and I'm speaking this unknown language that the Bible talked about. It was showed me from the Bible, but, you know, when you're shown something like that and you don't know it's foreign, but as it tells us in John 14 and 20, in that day you will know. Well, that day I knew. I knew that this wasn't a joke and that's why I had to do some pretty quick apologising. And and somehow or other I just knew that life was going to be completely different than it ever was before. And so, you know, God's blessing. me. Amanda and I went on to get married, of course, and we've had children as well. But I was still the dud scholastically. And as time went on and, and you just put aside your old life, and you take on those morals that Mandy talked about, and the scruples that you know that I certainly didn't have. Did that come
0: naturally? Did you fight against that? Because.
2: Uh- some of it went away pretty quickly. Um, yeah. My drinking and drug taking certainly took a nosedive. I still had a violent temper. I could always feel that would be rising up and I I still felt that I had to fight my battles. I never really understood and I had to learn this along the way that God fights your battles. He takes care of things and you got to give it over to him. Well, I was never used to giving my battles to anybody else. I had to thought I had to fight it myself. So it took me a, a long time to really get that out of my system. I mean, that's
0: not uncommon. Not a lot of people have, you know, that rage inside of them, but we yeah. often try and fight the battles ourselves, perhaps yeah. not so violently. Nah. It is difficult for people to hand over their problem to God, you know, because yeah. you know, we do it people. We'll get stuff done and we'll do this yeah. and we'll do that and whatever. Yeah. And so it's not it's not an uncommon thing for people to struggle with.
1: And we'd come from such totally different worlds. I think a lot of Danny's jobs he'd just fallen into, like just something was there and he took it. And I think once we were married and we like understood responsibilities and Danny actually started understanding, well, I actually need to have a job that's going to see me through the test of time. And so it was a totally different mindset and that's not something I think Danny could have picked up easily having lived all of his life Mm -hmm. in this sort of like chaotic sort of thing and yet he changed to get a really good position and to stand the test of time in relation to a career. That's just something I think was quite foreign to him and actually to Mm -hmm. anyone in his family. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, I remember actually sitting at a bordering table in North Ryden, Sydney, on the eighth floor there at a multinational company. I remember so this is obviously
0: at... a number of years later. Yeah, yeah.
2: a few years later, yeah. yeah. I just remember I was sitting there, and to be honest, at this point in time when I was sitting there, my mind was supposed to be on the job as we are trying to strategize for things inside the company. But my mind was set on how... How on earth did I get here? It just shouldn't have been. There was no way in the world from my my scholastical degrees that I lacked from way back then and having a teacher saying that you amount to nothing to have that said to you and I had no goals in life and then all of a sudden I'd received this amazing power of the Holy Ghost And then somewhere along the line, I'm sitting at a boardroom table of a multinational company and with all the executives and I'm trying to strategize all these people and I'm thinking, how on earth did I get here? And the other thought went through my mind at the time, what I would have given to have that teacher that said that to me to be sitting alongside of me at that point in time, because God had taken me from a position where I was now sitting way above where he actually was. So God's really good. He does some amazing things for you. I think... What really helped me was, um, and I've got a lot of gratitude for Pastor John Corman who, you know, he saw me come with my long hair and my, you know, I had a lousy attitude and that poor guy, gee, I feel sorry for what, you know. But anyway, we got through it. I've got the utmost admiration for him. But the thing that he did for me, which I didn't understand at the time, he threw me into looking after young peoples in the early years, a position that I never wanted to be involved in doing leading people. I just shied away from any of that. I think I was once again, even though I was spirit-filled, I was still scared of being a leader. But somehow or other, he just saw something that I couldn't see. He just picked me up and he threw me in and said, sink or swim, basically. God taught me to swim. And swim I did. Then all of a sudden, I'm involved with all these people and trying to help and help and help and help and begin to see the diversities of life. People come from all different walks of life and trying to be involved with it. And I learned. I learned so much. And because I learned so much, it really helped me. So finally, when I got into a company where I was managing, God had given me skills I never ever thought I was gonna get. And mm. so the two went hand in glove. I'm very grateful for him just doing something which I would never have done. Mm. Praise God for the wisdom he gave that man. Yeah. Mm. Amazing.
0: Okay, listeners, time for a little plug. If you're enjoying hearing the amazing stories of what God is doing in people's lives today, then I've got something for you. In June of this year, 2019, the Revival Fellowship is holding their international convention right here in Adelaide. The theme of the convention is, what's your story? We're going to have a lot of visitors from all over the world and many will share their stories of hope, of miraculous healing, of joy and of profound happiness that a life with God brings. So from the 8th to the 10th of June, 2019, we invite you to join us right here in Adelaide, Australia, to find out what's your story. Head over to www.whatsyourstory.me to find out more information or to register for this year's convention. Look forward to seeing you there. So, Mandy, you grew up in a family that...
1: Yep, so my mum was born in 1935 and she received the Holy Spirit when she was 14. So when I came along as a child, my dad had also received the Holy Spirit and had the same experience. So I was brought up in a family where my parents were united in their Christian beliefs and they also had evidence of that, where for Danny it was something that was so unusual and never seen before. For me, it was just a part of life that God was real in our life. It wasn't reading a Bible story. I just knew that God was tangible. So when I was 10, I got down on my knees and I had some prayer and I received the Holy Spirit. And my parents didn't have to tell me. There wasn't a leader in the church that had to tell me. I knew for myself, I spoke in a unknown language as the Bible had promised. That was great for me, just always knowing that if I had a question, I could always go to mum and dad and mum and dad could always explain from the Bible or from their own experience. It gave me confidence. I was a pretty confident person. I have always had a very strong personality, which is a blessing and a curse at times. <laughs> so I met Danny and that's like started a life that was very different. I remember once Pastor John actually gave a talk about relationships and he actually talked about people coming from diverse relationships and that can have its own complexities. We've been married for 42 years now and we, you know, I love being married. I still feel like we're on our honeymoon in some ways. But oh, You,
0: you <laughs> can be a bit sickening both of you. Yeah, it's actually yeah, very, very sweet.
1: Yeah. But, you know, in all of that, we have had some very interesting debates that without having that belief in God, being able to look to the word of God, being able to pray, this marriage would not have lasted. Like we both say that there is absolutely no way without having that amazing relationship with God in our lives, which just like, I suppose it it evens out those areas where we just came from things really differently. Danny's life was if something didn't work out, you'd just punch someone in the face, (laughs) where mine was you'd reason with them. But somehow between the two of us, it's worked out really, really well for us. And Mm -hmm. we have, you know, as you said, since 2014, we've been travelling as retirees and we just love travelling together and it's just been such a blessing. And I know without a doubt that this would not have lasted if we hadn't had that amazing you know strength that we've got in God that
0: bond of the Holy Spirit is just something that can't be explained naturally yeah absolutely. Yep. It can certainly be explained in scripture because we read about it there for those that are listening if you haven't gone back earlier on we had an episode with Stefan Jusha from Switzerland who talked about how their marriage was healed mm-hmm. When he came to the Lord after she received the Holy Spirit,
1: we've actually stayed at their place. Have you? Yeah, yeah and they are been. actually pretty sappy. So are they? Yeah. it's actually a great story it because is they, story. Um, you know, we've heard their story yeah. also about how miserable they were. We stayed with them for a week, and they are mm. pretty sappy yeah. and, how, saffy as and a how they
0: tried everything. You know, they yeah. tried counselling, they tried reading all the books, they tried everything naturally yeah, that yeah. you would do. Yeah, and it wasn't until she was filled with the Holy Spirit and he saw the change in her. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And when you see those two work together, yeah. what? Wow, yeah, it's, it's pretty a cool. great story. So,
0: if you're listening to this episode now, go back and have a listen to Stefan Jus's because it's yeah. uh, it's a cracker. It's a good mm. story. Mm. Yeah. So, you guys have both seen some pretty amazing things. Yep. I mean, in 42 years, I imagine we could be here all night and till tomorrow, and probably for the rest of the week of all the amazing things. But inside of your own personal family, you've had some pretty amazing testimonies, haven't you?
1: Yeah, well, you know, we've got two children and they're also pretty strong-willed, something to do with our personalities blended together. But pretty well, when I look back, For the first 20-odd years of our life, we had just the typical things that happen, uh, you know, trying to work out things in your marriage. But the first really, really big challenge we had was really in 2005. Our daughter was married and was pregnant with her second child and at 23 weeks gestation, Amy went to have a scan and was told that their unborn child had some significant health issues Instead of having four chambers in the heart, their son had one chamber in the heart. Uh, He had arteries missing, they were blocked or they were in the wrong place. He had a malrotated intestine and bleeding from the intestine. I've got a whole list of things here. Uh, A one in four chance of a chromosome abnormality and the chances of all these things being wrong was one in 5.8 million births. So they were devastated to say the least. I'll probably cry because this does um, really get to me. Anyway, we just all prayed about it. And what the doctors said at the time was the very best thing that they could do was have an abortion, both her and her husband. uh, They had a young child who was two at the time. They just said that wasn't an option. They believed in the healing power of God and that God just really had to sort this one out. Amy was just really confident that uh, God was going to perform a miracle.
0: Was everybody confident though?
1: Yeah, as a parent, you've got this big thing so you've raised your children and your children have relied on you and then all of a sudden you've got a child who's really hurting and who's married herself so she's you know got a partner and you're still a mum that she's a mum herself and so I suppose on the sideline you can still like feel like, you know, it's your cross to bear as well. But it really was their cross to bear and we were there to support them. I think the biggest thing was they just were really confident that God was going to heal. There was a number of things happening at the time. So we had uh, within our church, our assembly, we had people praying constantly and providing support. And I suppose Amy and Paul were cocooned in this environment of people really trusting that God was going to see them through. I think the biggest thing was the uh, doctors, they just didn't quite understand their belief and wanted them to have some counselling because they said basically when the baby was born with only one chamber in the heart, it was likely to die. Mm-hmm. And they just chose just to get support from one of our pastors within our church.
0: Why did they want them to have counselling before?
1: Because they had he chosen not to have an abortion. Yeah, they didn't have a lot of answers for once the baby was born as to whether it would survive. So there was little chance that he would survive, and so it's a big thing to go full term and then have not a baby. Yeah, okay. long term.
2: Yeah. yeah, he had a condition called a splenia which is either a lot of little spleens or no spleen at all, and they had detected there wasn't a spleen. And so the doctors had told Amy and Paul that without a spleen he just wouldn't survive. Amy's an amazing girl. You know, you're supposed to teach your kids about faith, but she was teaching me, well, she was teaching us really. She told the doctor there that you do what you have to do and you let my God do what he has to do, my boy will have a spleen. And, and that was the beginning of, whoa, this is, this is big. This is really, really mm. big. I mean, you can only imagine the
0: doctors. Mm. Yeah, They're looking at it naturally based on all their experience. They must have just thought they'd off yeah. the planet. Mm. Yeah.
1: Had some very interesting conversations, particularly with the doctor in Adelaide. They were told that he'd be classified as a blue baby, so blood not being oxygenated, and as soon as he was born, they wouldn't be able to hold him. He'd be whisked off to ICU and they try and see what they could do to monitor him. And that happened. He was born. In fact, the circumstances of him being born were just unreal because all the doctors that were meant to be there didn't get there in time. She actually gave birth quite quickly, and there was only a midwife and our daughter and her husband in the room. They actually wrapped Kalani up in some foil and gave him to Amy to hold while they just finished off with everything. And Amy just knew there and then, yeah, you know, like, moment, never yeah. gonna hold your baby. And then she's holding this little chubby blue baby. From there, they went to Melbourne straight away in a plane, and he was given a um, drug that made him think he was still actually in, in utero. Such- yeah. And that was constant and he was sent to the Children's Hospital in Melbourne.
0: So why did he have to go to Melbourne?
1: Because there's nothing that they could do with him here and that is the biggest hospital in Australia for dealing with like major heart issues.
0: So why didn't they have him over there?
1: No, it wasn't even suggested. You know, I don't know that they thought he'd actually get that far. Get that far, yeah. Well, they didn't
2: think he'd have a spleen. He had a spleen. I was there and the doctor told Amy, he's got a spleen and I remember crying that day. I went, wow!
0: So was this the doctor that she'd sort of said, no, no, he's going to be born with a spleen? Yeah.
2: It was an amazing moment. I still remember when he said that to her, he said, Oh, Mrs. Graham, your little boy's got a spleen. I was absolutely dumbfounded. I walked away, but as I walked away, I heard her say to him, Yes, I know. And wow, I lost it. Oh, I just lost it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: You know, some of the things originally that they'd been told, so that's one of them, the spleen, he still did only have one chamber in his heart, so nothing was different about that. He had no evidence of bleeding in his intestines, yet in the original test they had, he had a normal functioning spleen, which we were really rapt of. One of the things they thought he could have had was Down syndrome. He had no Down syndrome. And there were already some real wins, but he still had a really long way to go. You know, we uh, get down to Melbourne, we went down with their daughter. They flew down, so the hospital flew them down in our special air ambulance. The first night we actually went to pick them up from the hospital, she just rang and said, come and pick us up now. When we got there, they were both crying, they were pretty distressed, hopped in the car and said, can you just leave now? We had no idea. We didn't know whether he was alive or not and I said, is he still alive? And they said, yes, but it's just the most horrible place. I said, do you want to leave him on his own? And she said, no, but we just can't be there. So Danny just jumped out of the car, had no idea where Kalani was and he went and uh, they just explained that, you know, there's so many babies that are really, really sick and really have no hope. So he was actually in a ward with a whole pile of babies that they really did not know what to do with them. They were just keeping them alive till they could look at some more things in relation to tests and operations. Within a couple of weeks he had a major heart surgery. He had a shunt put into his heart which would allow his blood to be oxygenated and that was for a short period of time just till they could try and work out what else they could do. So that was pretty distressful for everyone down there. It's a horrible environment. But through all that we were all really confident that God had it all in hand. There were just so many ticks so many wins already. So he had that surgery and prayer and fasting continued, heaps of people praying, sending messages and encouragement. Everything seemed to be going really, really well. And it was at six months he required another operation. A lot of his body organs are transposed, so they're on the wrong side of his body or they're turned backwards. He'd had a couple of little operations. Every operation, the hospital just couldn't believe how quickly he bounced back. They also said that she'd never be able to feed him. He wouldn't be strong enough because he was classified as a blue baby. She breastfed him like any normal mum does. And then at six months, they really had run out of options and they said he needed to have this surgery and this surgery was extremely uh, dangerous. I've actually written it down somewhere here, the... Rate of him not surviving was far far greater than him surviving
0: because of the surgery. Like through the the surgery, surgery. yeah, yeah,
1: very very dangerous surgery, huge risk of death. But without Clanny having this, he just wouldn't have survived. So at that point, as a grandma, I used to you know take him around to shops and all that. In the very beginning, when he first came home from Melbourne. Just mainly doctors or nurses would, you know, be walking along with a stroller and they'd say, Oh, you know, your little boy or whatever. And I say, Oh, no, it's my grandson. And they'd say, Oh, is he a blue baby? And I looked, I thought he was just the most gorgeous baby, and I couldn't see it. But before he had his final surgery, just about anyone would say, Oh, what's wrong with your little boy? He had a, a blue tongue like a lizard, and all of his fingers were really chubby, like full of blood where the heart couldn't pump it back up. He acted like a normal child, but he didn't look particularly healthy.
0: So the blue baby, is that sort of a tinge in his skin? Well, the
1: heart's not pumping properly and it's not getting oxygenated. So I didn't think anything of it, but his fingers were quite chubby and blue-looking, like like they were cold. One day we were going to the heart doctor at Women's and Children's in North Adelaide. I went with my daughter to most of the appointments if I could, and on the way there she just said, Mum, I don't want you to be upset, but... I'm going to Melbourne for this next heart surgery and it's really serious and I actually don't want you and Dad to come. And I was like, ooh, okay, you know, why is that? And she said, look, you know, with the surgeries I've got this wealth of people around that can pray and be supportive. But this time I actually just want to trust in God. I just want to say there's no one else here to support me. And that's what mums and dads are good at, supporting kids. I just want to trust in God. So I couldn't argue with that one at all. And we went straight from that conversation into the cardiologist at Women's and Children's. Whilst Amy was in with the doctor, the cardiology nurse came out to me and sat down and said, Amy's going on her own. Uh, we don't feel comfortable about this at all. We There's such a high risk that he's not going to survive this surgery if it's money, we'll pay for you to fly down as well. And I said, no, it's got nothing to do with money. I said, you know how we believe in God's healing power? She's just confident. She actually said, I don't want to be left in Melbourne with a dead baby. I'm putting that as a fleece out to God. And so off she went down there with a whole pile of ultrasounds that showed what was wrong. The cardiologist in Melbourne who had done all of Kalani's surgery, he looked at the scans to make sure he knew what he was doing and then the day before they did another set of scans and it was at that point they actually realised that there'd been some major changes. So he'd had the first scans maybe three weeks before and when they did the scans again there was a wall that had formed in his heart. So instead of having one chamber, he had two chambers. Mm. And so this went from a really critical surgery with a high risk of him dying to a much smaller surgery. I think the first surgery was going to be 18 hours and this surgery was six hours. So straight away we just knew that God was working in his life and we always knew that, but this was something that doctors could not explain at all. So Danny, what did you do when you found out this news?
2: Well, I had to choke up there for a second. (laughs) Because Amy was quite resolute about no-one being there. She, in fact, sent her husband, Paul, to Queensland with their daughter to have a holiday. So she wanted to put that flesh right on out there. It was a big risk. I had an appointment in Brisbane for work and I flew to Brisbane and I remember actually I'd walking across the Story Bridge and go over to Chinatown to get something to eat for tea. It was halfway across the bridge or their part of where I got the phone call from Amy to tell me the news that Mandy had just downloaded to you. I used to be this person who would never cry at anything at all and there I was, I was a blubbering mess. I was a howling mess on this bridge, so much so that there were people who thought that I was a suicide case, I was going to jump (laughs) off the bridge. And I had to outline, no, no, it's all good news, it's all good news. It was a big, big time. You know, one of the amazing things was, I just was talking to some people about this recently, Clarnie, who's 12 now, 13. 13 now, I was down at Wallunga with him where he played in his grand final for tennis. I remember seeing the guy who was coming out to play. And he was a giant compared to what Killarney was. Killarney had this amazing forehand that he would drive this powerful ace down the middle, and he lost his grand final, but it was nothing in it. And I remember thinking, here's a kid that shouldn't be here. And I've got a photo of when he was playing and I've also got a photo when he kicked his first goal in soccer. So it is truly a miracle. He should never be here. They understand that. We understand that. Mm. But God does the impossible. Yeah, it's amazing. Mm.
1: On that day that the surgery changed to a much lower risk, 1% chance of death. His surgeon said, this is a miracle. Whatever you're doing, don't stop doing it. So 13 years on or, you know, 12 and a half years on since then, Kalani, he's a typical 13-year-old. He loves sports. He loves gaming, all those sorts of things. He's got some amazing scars but he's also got an amazing testimony of God's healing power. I suppose the big thing in our life where we saw for ourselves God just really undertakes some amazing miracles. And Amy takes
2: him to seminars over there sometimes and he proudly shows his scar. Yeah, so it's quite incredible actually. Yeah, yeah. Yes. thank you. Yeah.
1: So that's like our big story.
0: I'm sure there's plenty of other stories, yeah. but uh, I am choking up myself listening to you know, Danny on the bridge. I mean, not only is it amazing for Kalani and for you and as a family, but just the grace of God, you know, mm. I think so, Absolutely. I think that's the piece that chokes us up, you know, that he doesn't have to, right? He no. doesn't, doesn't no. have to do that.
1: As Danny mentioned, more recently, the women's and children's here asked some specialists from all over the world could interview the children who had gone through serious heart condition and Kalani was selected. Kalani's doctor said after, we just cannot believe how confident he is about mm. what has happened in his life. And just how positive he has moved forward compared to any of the other children that we've seen and that is only Mm -hmm. through God's confidence I suppose in us as grandparents our uh, daughter and our son-in-law just knowing that God is going to take care of things and you Mm -hmm. raise your children like that and they raise their kids like that so it's It's a great life.
0: I mean, when God's got you back, nothing that's going to come against you really is going to compete with that. Actually,
2: just to put that in perspective, Mandy talked about that second operation. It was called a Fontan procedure. Just to outline what that is, Mandy actually mentioned it was an eight-hour operation. I think it was going to be done over three shifts. What they do there is they, once again, open him right up, which is just a horrible thing. You never want to see that again a little kid, I can tell you. And then they take the heart out of the body. They open up that heart and they put a plastic sleeve into the heart and then stitch it back up again and then put that heart back in the body. The thing about that is the heart grows but the plastic sleeve doesn't grow and so therefore this would have to be an ongoing thing to take it out, put another sleeve in. So Amy and Paul were spared that dilemma as well. So it's a lot more to the story as well. So Mm. it is a huge thing, something that we just aren't able to explain really. Amen. That's amazing.
1: Yeah.
2: It's
0: hard to finish that. I'd like to keep talking about it, but we've been going for just about an hour already. Mandy said this is going to take about 10 minutes. Yes. I said, let's just see how that goes, Mandy. Yeah. All right, so an hour later. Yeah. Have you guys got favourite scriptures you want to share with us?
2: My favourite scripture at the moment it would be 2 Corinthians 9.15, where Paul said, thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. Mm. And it just rounds up everything for me, you know, without that, none of this would be possible. So I'm Mm. thankful for that part. Mm, Absolutely.
1: And for me, I'm a person that loves doing things for people. So I've got a fair amount of energy. And one scripture that I really fall on is Galatians 6, verse 10. As we therefore have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. I just love that we are a family of God. It's not just going to church on Sunday and you see these people on Sunday and you just, hello. I love the fact that we are like brothers and sisters, like blood brothers and sisters. And we can really say that when we travel, you know, overseas and around Australia, just to walk into a little fellowship where, you know, there's eight people, you don't know a single person, and yet within minutes you feel at home. And that is only through the power of God working in our lives, like we've got a common union, and I just can't think of any life better than what we've got. Yeah, Yeah. amen. Amen.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing.
1: Yeah, no problem. Beautiful.
0: What I really love about that story is that it really does teach us that we need to let God fight our battles for us, despite the adversity that we may feel from the circumstances that are right before our eyes. We read this in the scriptures many times, but when we do it, it truly is amazing what God will do for us. There's some references to another podcast in there, Stephen Stephan Marriage, so make sure you go back through our back catalogue and search that one out because it's a great, great testimony. Would you like God to have an impact on your life like he has on Danny, Mandy's and Kalani's? Then send me an email at podcast at revival on the air today or head to our website to find out what the Bible says, www.therevivalfellowship.com. Until next time,
1: God bless.